0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, family, today we're going to keep going on in our series in uh, Choose Joy. Choose Joy. I hope you've been enjoying this Choose Joy series. It, it's been amazing for me to just walk through the book of Philippians and and what God is doing in the book of Philippians, because it, it's it's piercing my heart. It's doing so much. There. And I pray the same thing has been for you, because this whole idea of, of of intentionally choosing joy, intentionally choosing God. It's tough in the midst of the pandemic. It's tough where we are today, but continually walking by faith and saying, I choose you, God. So if you've missed all these weeks, if you missed any of the weeks, I want you to catch up with us as we've been in this this for a few weeks and these are our last couple weeks, but you don't wanna miss what God's been doing through this series. I pray that he's been uh, just really pricking the things of your heart and, and pulling you closer to him during this series as he's been doing myself. We're gonna be in Philippians chapter four this morning. So go ahead and get your Bible open. Philippians chapter four, Verses 1 through 9. And once you got it, I'm going to let you go ahead and say or type got it in the chat today. If you don't feel like typing because it's weird to you, then just scream out got it in your living room. I'm going to hear you in my spirit. I... <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Here now the reading of God's word, starting verse 1. The text reads. Therefore my brothers, whom I long, who I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia, and I entreat soon, Tykee, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. Verse 4, again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Today, I want to preach on the topic, there's something about being known. Something about being known. Let's pray before we go any further. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. I thank you for being just good. God, I simply ask that you would use me as your vessel to speak your word. That you would empty me, decrease me, so that you would increase in me. Let your people hear a word from you and not from me. Let a word fall afresh on us today. Use me for your glory. Use this message to impact us not only today, but forevermore. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all said together, amen and amen. Well, in the beginning of the shorter Westminster Catechism, it begins with this question. The question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I remember hearing this and riding in the car with one of my mentors as he would take his children to school. And before he would let them out of the car, he would ask his boys, he'd be like, what, what's the chief end of man? And they would say it all proud and confident. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I was sitting there saying, wow, that's so profound. That's amazing. Just that statement, that confession of faith. But then as I grew older and I grew in my faith, I always started to ask the question after this statement, this catechism was, which is this, is do I really believe that statement? See, because the tension we live in being American is that this is in direct opposition to what society tells us, which is to live for yourself, enjoy each day to the full, do what you want to do, which inevitably poses a problem to this confession of faith, because me, my recognition, my my enjoyment, Those words don't exist in that catechism. So today, family, what I want to do is I want to pose the same question to you. Do I really believe that catechism? Do I really believe that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever? In other words, do I get joy in living for Christ? Do I have joy from living for Christ i got two points that I'm going to get out of your way today. Number one, we have to know whose we are. And number two, peace and joy prevail when you know whose you are. We have to know whose we are, and peace and joy prevails when you know whose you are. At the beginning of our passage today, Paul, he begins with this word, Therefore which indicates that he is continuing from his preceding thought in order to lead into our passage today. Now, friends, this is important to note, especially in Paul's writing, because I do believe that our English translations and through our teaching and how we're taught to read and how we're taught to write, we can easily look at his writings and we can misinterpret his writings. What I'm what I'm getting at is as you read Paul and you study the scriptures, you start to see that Paul, my man, is the king of run ons. Dude writes the longest sentences I've ever seen in my life. No period just keeps on going. You're like, all right, Paul, you're done. And throughout the whole course of chapters, he continually repeats himself over and over again, trying to get his point across to the readers. And and in many of the new paragraphs and many of the periods you see and many of of, of the, the splices or the, the, the new chapters, they wouldn't have existed in the original letters. It would have been just one long letter that Paul actually wrote to the church that he's writing to. So hear me. If you read this as one uh, as a new sentence uh, where he says therefore, or or new paragraph, you may misinterpret the beginning of chapter four and its meaning because you didn't include the context in your interpretation. I hope you're following me, because the question should be arising in your mind. Well, okay, what is Paul saying, Pastor D, when he says therefore? Look at it with me. He says in verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul, in a very endearing way, if you look at the words, he says, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord. See, Paul's desire for the Philippian church here is for them to understand their union with Christ, their union with one another, and the work he's doing within them. I mean, he even mentions in the the first couple verses how there's a feud between two women, and he's like, no, y'all got to stand together. This is about what Christ is doing within us and how he's working in us. We got to learn how to stand firm together. And the question comes out, it's basically saying, the question that arises within me and maybe with you as you're reading this, well, 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 What does it look like to stand firm? This is where the passage, I believe, connects to the preceding chapter. That whole therefore, it connects to the preceding chapter, the chapter before, because I believe Paul answers this back in chapter 3, verse 12, when talking about his own journey. He says these words, not that I have already obtained this, look at these, or that I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is referring to this enduring struggle of the believer, the struggle of understanding whose you are. But also still having to live in this world, you follow me with that? There's this tension. There's this tension again, as I've mentioned before, of living in the now, but also looking to the not yet. As Christians, we may be saved. We may understand salvation in a sense. Jesus died for me on the cross. He was buried. Then he rose again from the grave. And I live. I, I believe in him. And, and now because of that, I'm going to live all throughout our eternity. I'm saved by grace through faith. We understand that cognitively. But at the end of the day, we're saying I'm still experiencing the mess of this world now. Which is where the struggle lies. Because although heaven awaits me in eternity in the not yet, someone is saying, Pastor D, I'm experiencing hell right now all around me in the now. Someone go with me. I know I'm right in your kitchen with that one. The tension of the Christian life is living in the now and the not yet. I know Jesus has saved me and because I know what he what what he's done and 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 that he's coming and the not yet. I'm able to live through the now and and, and see what Paul is trying to get at right here in this text. And he's trying to get the readers to understand is that that tension affects your faith in it and your works. Or should I say this way, what you believe affects how you live and you work. Friends, this is where I believe the problem lies. This is where I believe it lies for the, for the Christian and where, where, where I want to dig in a bit as we get into this text. I want to dig in a bit because I don't believe Christians or people, period, really understand how to truly stand firm. See, don't miss this. Our standing, all, it only it depends on, here it is, If firm, us standing firm lies in who we're standing on or what we're standing on. Let me say it again. Standing firm lies in who you're standing on or who you're or what you're standing on, who or what you're standing on dictates if you're going to stand firm. If we don't understand this again, we're going to miss chapter four. We're going to miss it completely and we're really going to miss the joy in a season like this one where it seems like troubles all around us. But miss the joy in that. Paul says, not that I have obtained it yet, talking about the resurrection or heaven and perfection. But he says, I press on to make it my own. Why don't miss this? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, I can keep going through the ridicule. I can keep going through the imprisonment. I can keep going through the persecution, not because of my strength, but because I stand on Christ, the solid rock. He has made me his own. So you can walk with a little swag, a little confidence when you're standing on the right foundation. So the true believer can say, well, we... COVID-19 might be here, but I can keep going because I know who I belong to. I I can walk with my head held high, even though it seems like the bottom is falling out in my life. Because although things around me are crazy, regardless of what happens to me, the king has made me his own. Let me, let me make this a bit more plain for you because I, I really don't want you to miss where we're going with this. Can, can I be honest with you this morning? Can I, can I do that with you? Growing up as a, as a young boy without a father in the home, if I'm honest, was, was extremely tough. It's extremely tough. and there, there were many moments where I just wanted my dad around. I, I wanted my father around where I'd be at my games, and I, I just wanted him in the stands. And there were very few where he was able to make. But I always remember looking in the stands, and in my mind, I might not tell everybody, but I'm wishing that my dad was there. Because when he was there, there was just this different confidence. See, I, I wanted to play harder. I wanted to be more because he, he, he kind of gave me that just by his presence and being there. I mean, I just wanted him there. It was tough not having them around. See, there's this sense of belonging that parents give you, and and I'm really talking about two parents, because if it was the other way around and my mother wasn't there, I'd I'd long for my mother to be there. I'd long for her to be there, but seeing one parent all the time, I'm you know, I ain't I ain't gotta scratch my head too much to know simple biology. It takes two to tangle. I didn't come out of just one. I mean, y'all some of y'all get that when you grow up, but, <laughs> but see, there was this feeling because I'm only seeing one, there's this feeling of being complete. Incomplete. There, there was always this feeling of incompleteness and and me wanting to belong. Me wanting to be known. I I, I remember going over my friends' houses, and you know how you did sleepovers and things like that. Specifically, I almost always unconsciously would try to pick the friend that had two parents in the household, and I would go stay at his house, and and I would just watch the family function. And they would treat me almost as if I was another son to them. If he got some gifts, I got a gift. But still, there was, there was something in me that still felt incomplete. There was this sense of being incomplete and I still felt unknown and I, and I still had this sense of wanting to belong. I, I always felt as if I had something to prove or, or I walked with this false sense of confidence where behind the scenes I was still lacking. And this struggle of being known and fully loved, it, it did not truly become a reality for me or switch until I actually became a follower of Jesus Christ. When I got to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I, I I heard that He died on the cross for me, He was He was buried, and He rose from the grave. That He He loved me that much that He would give His life up for me. I didn't have to do anything. There's nothing I bring to the table for Him to to warrant that type of salvation. But He would die for me. So now I work from approval instead of for approval. That God looks down on me, and despite the Derek I used to be, or what I did ten years ago, or what I'm doing, might do tomorrow he looks down and he sees Jesus and he says well done my son not because of what I've done but because of what Jesus has done that's when I started to understand that yo I belong to the family of God and and he loves me despite me I'm known by him but hear me, this revelation, this reality, this understanding has only become more prevalent and apparent in my life now that I have children. And it lets me know the, more and more the importance of discipling and being there for my kids on a day-to-day basis. And, and don't hear me, please don't hear me saying that I'm better than my parents or I'm doing better than them. No, no, I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's only God that has saved me and allowed me to be in a place that I am right now. But hear me, I get to watch my children and they walk and they play and they live from a place that I never got to know as a kid. I've been able to witness them blossom and not have to experience the hardships of identity struggles, depression, divorce, etc. on down the line that I had to experience as a kid. And that doesn't mean that they won't experience hardships. I mean, we're seeing the the hardships just simply being black in America. I know my kids are going to have to go through some hardships. But follow me. There's a difference between my childhood and my children's upbringing. And, And although we both knew and we know our father, there's a big difference between just having the knowledge of who your parents are and where you come from and knowing that the person you come from is also there. Uh, follow me with this one. See, see, hopefully you're following this because what I'm trying to get at is that when you not only know who you belong to, but believe and know that they are also trustworthy and with you, it causes you to walk differently. Family, th- there's a big difference between actually... or acknowledging acknowledging or having knowledge of Jesus Christ and actually knowing Christ and fully being known by him. There's a big difference in saying I know of some Christians and I actually am a true believer and I walk by faith. Paul says in this text, "I I press on because Christ has made me his own. But I know someone's still sitting there and they're saying, okay, Pastor D, I get that. It's all fine and all. Paul belongs to Christ, but, but didn't Jesus die? Pastor it, it, isn't Jesus gone? It didn't, didn't Jesus die? And, and, but you, you just said that it's, it's, it's something about your family or your father actually being in your life and physically being present, but ain't Jesus gone like physically his body is gone, right? Yes. But you know how Paul knows Christ? has made him his own watch this as Paul has walked faithfully with Christ he's seen the track record of God Mm. he's seen the track record of God continually working in his life so when problems occur he can say just like your grandmother used to tell, tell you God has not brought you this far my child to leave you uh, Paul Paul can look back and he can remember while he was walking on the road to Damascus where where Jesus would, would blind him with a great light and say Saul at the time why are you persecuting me why are you persecuting my church what are you doing he would change his name from Saul to Paul he would take him from a persecutor of the church to a church planner. look at God Ah, But I know that's not enough. If you read back over in Acts chapter 16, talking about the book where we are right now, the starting of the Philippian church, Paul and his men, they're walking through the town and they're doing works of God, they're preaching the gospel. And because of this, they're persecuted, locked in chains, beaten badly in the public square, and then they're thrown in a prison cell, and in the midst of the shackles and the chains on their legs, they start singing praises and and singing hymns to God at nighttime, and and the shackles start falling off their arms and their feet so they can dance. They're praising him through the night, and then the Philippian jailer wakes up like, what's going on? And and Paul preaches the gospel to him, and then revival breaks out in his home, and people get to know Jesus. Jesus all because of Paul's faithfulness and how God worked in his life look at God Ah, But I know that's not enough either. You look back at Acts chapter 19 and you read about Paul walking with God and his faithfulness. And as he's walking with God, my man was so on fire for God that people would push through crowds and and they would just want to touch Paul. And so they would take their handkerchief out and they would take a garment of clothing and they would touch Paul's skin. And then they would take that handkerchief or that parcel of clothing and they would take it back and touch a person that had a disease or somebody that was sick. And simply because that handkerchief had touched Paul. It would heal the person with the, with the disease or the sick, sickness. But, but, but I know that's not enough. You, you're looking at God, but that's still not enough. Flip to the next chapter. Acts chapter 20. Paul is preaching in the upper room. My man Eutychus is sitting in a, in a windowsill. I don't know why he's sitting on the windowsill all the way up a couple levels. He's sitting in the windowsill. And Paul starts preaching. My man must have not been the greatest preacher because dude falls asleep. And Eutychus falls out the window to his death paul scurries through the crowds i can imagine people screaming and people crying paul calm down he lays over eutychus starts praying takes a a boy that was dead and brings him back to life look at god and i haven't even mentioned All of the churches that Paul actually planted, planting churches in the midst of an era of real Christian persecution. I'm not talking about being disliked because you said Jesus' name. No, 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 no. People were being martyred. People were being killed at the stake. People were being burned. People were being thrown off of cliffs and heads chopped off all because they're preaching the gospel. And Paul is planting churches all around this place. Look at God. Family, what I'm trying to get at right now is that although you may not see Jesus walking with you, as you walk by faith and you live according to the will of God, one can start to look back over their lives and say, wow, 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 look at what God has done. Look at at where God has brought me from. Look at what God has protected me from. How many of you can just look back over your life and see the handprints of God all over the place? Family, seeing is not believing. The Bible says that the Christian walks by faith and not by sight, which means that although I may not see Jesus, to believe means to walk faithfully by the word of God and believe and hold tightly to the promises of God. That's faith. This means, again, as I said earlier, your faith, what you believe affects the way you live and you work. Which brings us back to this whole stand firm phrase that Paul says in verse one, because someone is still saying, well, Pastor D, I, 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 I still don't see the good in standing firm or walking by faith. I mean, I'm still suffering here. And, 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 and here's the deal. I would argue that the reason you're in that place is because you have not fully let go of control yet. The fact that you can still have a question of, of belief after you've seen the goodness of God throughout your life over and over again reveals or pulls the covers back on a control issue. Because hear me, when you know the truth of the faith you believe in, the God that you believe in, and you stand firm on it, control ceases and peace prevails. This is what Paul is trying to get at here in our text in verses four through nine. He and many of us believe, many of us hear me. I need to unpack this a bit because this is where we're going. Because many of us right now that believe we're experiencing an immense amount of anxiety, worry, and/or depression in this season because this pandemic has turned everything upside down in our lives. Lives. It, it, it's turned everything on its Head and instead of choosing God or choosing joy in our circumstance, because I don't, I don't feel joy, I, I don't see God doing anything good right now. We say to ourselves, "There must be something I need to do. There must be something that I, I, something else out there. There must be something more." So in turn, we begin to rely on our own strength. With now, hear me, which now causes more. Worry because you soon find out you can't solve a pandemic. There's no amount of money, there's no other joy out there that actually can give me the joy that I'm searching for right now, which leaves me at a place worse than where I started. And all the while, God is like, I'm right here. Just believe. This is why Paul uses the whole chapter three saying, "I gave up all I had and I counted all as all my accolades as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ." Hear me, knowing Jesus and being known by Him is the greatest accomplishment in this life. Knowing Jesus and being known by Him is the greatest achievement here on this earth. This is why Paul says, "Rejoice." In the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always in verse four, because regardless of what's happening to me, knowing that I belong to Jesus, being covered by his death, being covered by his burial, being covered by his resurrection means that I, therefore, as he rose from the grave, I already too have the victory in Jesus. So, so I don't have to panic or trip in the midst of my situation or in the midst of COVID-19 or this world or the murder rate or politics because I stand on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. So in essence, I can have peace and joy because my life rests in Jesus' hands and nowhere else. But I but I know. I know we're still missing this thing. Look back at the text with me. If you pay attention to the the verbiage and the the language that Paul uses, he he says rejoice always in who? He doesn't say yourself. He doesn't say in circumstances. He says in the Lord. Then he says let your reasonableness be known to Because who's at hand? Not you or do this because people are looking at you. But instead, he says, the Lord is at hand. Now, why is all this important? The reason is before Paul, because before Paul, hear me, in the text, before he can get to anxiety or talking about any kind of anxiety, because a lot of us, we we like to skip on down to verse six. That's the memory verse that we we all memorize. I know I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody. Paul, before he gets to talking about anxiety, he has to make sure that your head and your heart are still stayed on Jesus. You're missing this. You're missing this. See, see. here's the point. At the root of our anxiety, underneath it, at the root of our fear, at the root of manipulation, or worry is most of the time, if not all the time, control. We get anxious when we feel out of control. We get fearful over things we can't control. We worry when things are out of our control. And Paul is trying to make this all plain Before he says anything about anxiety, he's letting us know that if you have your head and your heart in the right place, then this will help alleviate worry and anxiety when they start to to creep up. Hear me, what Paul is trying to relay to the reader of this text is before I tell you don't be anxious let me remind you because you might have missed it in the first three chapters of this book understand that everything that you're going through there is someone in everything you've been through there is someone that has already gone through it before you there's someone who has is pre-planned and ordered the steps of your life someone who has died in your place someone who has risen from the grave for you on your behalf someone who loves you enough to stay with you through the thick and the thin and his name is Jesus so the text says rejoice in the Lord always and let your reasonableness be known because the Lord is at hand in other words he has suffered temptation he has suffered ridicule he has struggled like you and he's conquered And guess what? He's still with you. He's trustworthy. Choose God. Paul is saying, trust God. Because even though things might be out of your control, we that believe serve a God who never loses control and he will take care of us. Just believe. Uh, This all lends itself to verse 6, which I know some of y'all have been waiting on to get to, where Paul mentions anxiety. Because, as I've said before, y'all hear me, it's impossible to be overcome with anxiety when you've totally surrendered control to God. It's impossible to to be overcome with anxiety when you've surrendered total control to God. Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. We've preached to that. I've talked about it before, but let me remind you, this is where he stated the most common causes of anxiety. They are, number one, physical attributes. You see in verse 27. In verse 28, he talks about clothing. Verse 31, he talks about food and drink. And the one we love, verse 34, he talks about the future, worrying about the future. These are all things that cause anxiety, especially if we lean into our own understanding and control. Jesus confronts this and says to his disciples in that same passage in verse 33 through 34, look at it with me. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious. There's that anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Jesus simply says, trust me and seek me. I got you. I got you. But I know someone's saying, well, I, I get that I'm supposed to seek after Jesus, Pastor D. I, I get that you're saying that he will take care of me. But what's that look like? Well, Paul, in our text, he gives the remedy to our anxiety ready? He says, pray. Pray. Hear me, family. Prayer is what cures anxiety. It's how we let go of control. Anxiety ceases when we're able to let go of control and we're able to call out to an almighty God. Prayer cures anxiety. But see, therein lies the problem. You see, if I was to, I'm not much of a betting man, but if if I was to take a poll right now of our church, I could almost bet that most of us, if not all of us, are lacking in our prayer life. Some of us, it's non-existent. Where is it that you just need to stop and pray? What's the space in your life where you just need to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, I need you. Anxiety ceases when we're able to let go of control and we can call out to God. Now, hear me, this doesn't mean that just because we call out to God He's going to answer it, or we need to pray all day. But instead, when you begin to feel anxiety and fear starts to creep in, begin to make a practice of just stopping and going to God in prayer. See, if I were to pull that illustration about the child and parents back into play here, when a child has a problem, what do they do? What do they turn? Daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy, I need some help. They call out. And especially in, in times like today with e-learning and stuff, they're in the house, they're calling out all the, all the time. And I know some mamas and daddies, if you're like me, you ready to change your name. I, daddy who? <laughs> daddy don't live here no more. No, You broke that name. And, and the funny thing about it is that when, when the child comes out, I got five kids, when they come out, you're like, oh, they said daddy for the first time. And 10 years later, you're like, if you say daddy one more time. What? what figured out? <laughs> I know I'm talking to some parent. But see, 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 there's something, though, about them calling out to their parents. Don't miss this. Again, it, it goes back to chapter 3, verse 12, when Paul says, I'm known by he's made me his own. See, children, they know who they come from. And they, they knows, know whose they are. So without flinching, when something hits them or trouble occurs in their life, they immediately, without thinking, they turn straight to mommy or daddy. Help me, daddy. Help me, mommy. I need you. But The question we got to answer is, when, when's the last time you ran to your heavenly father and said, I need some help. I need you. Martin Luther, one of the seminal figures of the 16th century reformation, he he says it like this. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Let me say that again. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. You can't be Christian without praying. But somehow, it's the last tool we use in our walks with God. See, when we pray, one has to know God and know that they are fully known by God, which allows you to stand firm, knowing that God will hear my prayer and answer in time. And if you know the God of the Bible, then anxiety ceases and peace consumes you because you know, just like that little child knows, when I call up to my daddy, he will answer. He will be there for me and he will take care of me. And again, that doesn't mean he's going to do whatever you ask him. But the text says peace he will give you peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because the same God that created the whole universe and hung the moon and the stars in the sky is the same God that cares about little old me. And if He can make the moon and the stars and all the planets and the whole universe, if He can do that without me having a hand in it or me adding advice to the plate or saying, "God, what you want me to do?" If He can do that without me, then family, hear me. He can fix my situation without giving me understanding, and He can do it in His own time that's that 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 gives me peace that the same God hung that hung the moon and the stars in the sky really can still cares about me David says what is man that you would care for me how many of you can look back over your situation where you were in and you were in that mess and while you're in it you didn't know how you were going to get out of it but now you look back and you you say but God but God but see the problem and this is me included I think all of us we suffer from a very severe case of spiritual dementia. (laughs) We have bad memory lapses. And God has to show us over and over again how he works and how good he is to us. Friends, it's in times like today where we must remember who God is. And for those of us that are are here now and you, you don't know him and you're hearing for the first time about his trustworthiness, you're hearing about the love of God, If you took a cursory reading, I'm telling you, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you would see God working all throughout the course of scripture in the lives of his people. He's always there. He never leaves nor forsakes his people. Renewal, hear me. When you know whose you are, again, it changes the way you live. Many of us are lacking in our prayer lives and struggling in our day-to-day lives. Because our identity and the place we live from doesn't begin with Jesus. Let me ask you, because here's a good way to figure out if your identity and where you live from begins with Jesus. It's a simple question What do you do? What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? I know. For, for most of us, that probably is picking up their phone and looking at some notification, some email, some text, some call, social media, news. I, w- I want you to try this. For the first 15 minutes of each day when you wake up, call it a challenge, whatever it is, I just want you to spend time in prayer and with Jesus just 15 minutes do it for the next week if you don't know where to start in your Bible start reading the gospel of John I just want you to read a chapter of day not much 15 minutes send me an email or something after this week and tell me how it's going family hear me to be known by God and to live to know him It is the journey of the Christian walk. Many of us don't have peace because knowing God has not been our every moment's desire. And hear me, if we truly desire to choose joy, we want to have peace. You cannot do so without choosing God first. So with that, family, to that end, will you join with me in making God's name famous in our own life and throughout the nation? Will you make your chief end to glorify God and enjoy him forever? That's my prayer for myself, and that's my prayer for you. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. You are an awesome God. God, I pray right now that you be lifted up in us and work in and through us for your glory. God, as anxiety... Worry starts to creep up in our souls. Let us be reminded of the Heavenly Father who is on our side, who loves us, never forsakes us, is always there. God, let us be reminded that we're known by you. And in that, we have all the approval, all the significance, all the love that we need. Thank you, Jesus, for the person that walked in or is listening right now at their home. They woke up and they turned it on and saying that's the first time I've heard this good news. God, I pray that you call them to yourself right now. They're not here, which is happenstance. They're here for a reason pray for the people that have been wandering through this pandemic that do believe that you give them a sense of purpose to understand that they're here as vessels being used by you to glorify you and allow people to see the same hope we have in you jesus and it's In it's your mighty name we pray all these things and the church said amen